Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Praise God. All right, so I'm excited about the next... Um, Bible study classes. Um, They're going to be very theological, nothing to worry about, something you can understand. Uh, but they might not be likely, you know how it is. Uh, just stretch your mind a bit. Some of the information might look irrelevant, but every bit of information is relevant for the understanding of scriptures. Praise God. Okay, do we all have our outlines? Okay, so let's pray and then we kick off. Praise God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you because I'm anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive and together we're built up in the revelation of Jesus. And I pray for understanding and illumination in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Okay, so um, what, what came to my mind uh, was for us to start studying part of the Old Testament. Uh, because of certain statements I've made regarding the totality of scriptures. But as I began to prepare for Malachi chapter 1, which we're supposed to start today, I realized that there are some foundational understanding that we all need to have before we start studying the books itself. So what we're going to do tonight is basic introduction to the prophetic Old Testament books. Basic introduction to the prophetic Old Testament books. I want us to see that the Old Testament, which is from Genesis to Revelation, uh, Genesis to Malachi. Now, from Genesis, when you look at your Bible, from Genesis to Malachi, um, constitute the Old Testament, and then for the printed pages in between Malachi and Matthew, there's usually a white page if your printers are not trying to save space and make more money, like my printers did here. <laughs> okay, so there's usually blank space. In church history, that blank space is called the 400 years of the dark ages, where there was no communication between God and man. There was, it was almost like silent period. And then the scripture picks up in the book of Matthew. Now, the book of Matthew, from Matthew to Acts chapter 1, from Matthew to Acts chapter 1, is actually referred to the Gospels. Now, the Gospels are the written accounts of the life of Jesus and the Apostles. Now, the Gospels are called the New Testament, but in actuality, they are not the New Testament. Because a testament can only come into effect when a man has died. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there was no, in quote, before the end, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. All right? So, after the resurrection of Jesus, you began to find the documentation of the post-resurrection life of Jesus and then the acts of the apostles. And that's when the New Testament came into effect. Because when Jesus was walking the earth, the Judaistic culture, which was part of the Old Testament, Judaism, was still in effect 100%. So, it was the death and the resurrection of Jesus that ushered in the New Testament. Praise God. Now, so, in our introduction there, we say the Old Testament was the only Bible of Jesus and the earliest church. So, when the earliest church was reading 
you know, when they said they were reading the scriptures, when you see the word scriptures used, especially in the New Testament, the Gospels and the New Testament, it referred to the Old Testament. Sometimes it is used as the law and the prophets, like in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Now, if you go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill them. So the law and the prophets within that context, we can put up the scriptures if you guys have it. The law and the prophets in those contexts made up the scriptures. All right? Luke 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. Am I too fast? No? Okay. Luke 24, 44. Luke 24, 44. It says... Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled. Now look at this now. Which were written in what? The law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning who? Concerning me, Jesus. So what Jesus was saying here, that what was written in the law of Moses, the five first book, which is called the Torah, and the prophets, the prophetic book, which are two classifications. We've got the major prophet and the minor prophet, and I'll explain why it's called major and minor. Well, people call it that way. And then the Psalms. The Bible says that these things were written consigning me. So it gives us a background to the Old Testament, that the Old Testament was actually written consigning Jesus. So actually, if we study the Old Testament carefully, what we will see or who we will see is Jesus. Praise God. Because the Old Testament is the shadow of the New Testament. So actually, the prophets and the law and the Psalms were all pointing to the person of Jesus, if you actually study it carefully. So that's what Jesus was alluding to here. Now, you understand that in the statement of Jesus... It did not say, well, the Bible was written concerning me, right? Rather, he actually references the various segments of the Bible. Because in their culture, they would understand what Jesus was talking about. Are you following this? So he says, the prophets. So when he says, the prophets, they knew he wasn't just talking about one prophet. He was talking about the writings of the prophets, right? And then he also talks about the Psalms. Right? Then he goes on to talk about what? The law. He's talking about the books of Moses. So they understood those divisions. And those divisions are, they would help us in understanding the totality of scripture. Just as the scripture is also a divinely inspired book, all scripture is given by the breath of Almighty God, it is also a literature book. So sometimes the cultural context Understanding how they are writing, why they are writing, can make you understand better the scriptures. Praise God. Acts 24, 14. Acts 24 and verse 14. So we're just establishing that this was what they had as the Bible. But this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. So you see, 
the, the apostles saw the law and the prophets as their only scriptures. And we, we are gradually, if cares is not taken, we are almost throwing away the Old Testament completely from churches. We just go there, pick one prayer point here or there, acidic prayer point, dangerous prayer point, and then we run to the Pauline epistles. You see, but the truth of the matter is that you must be built up in a balanced way. You must be able to understand the Old Testament, how the Old Testament leads to the New Testament. And the reason a lot of us run from the Old Testament is that it is very confusing. So we really do not, you know, you just, if, like the book of Revelation. You know, you reach a point, you see a beast coming out of the sea, uh, a man riding on a white horse with, with, with sword in his mouth. You're like, what, man? <laughs> this looks like Avengers. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Are you still here? Say amen if you're here. All right. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And that from childhood, let's read from verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and being assured of them, knowing from who you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Now you understand that Paul was writing to Timothy, so Timothy was not reading the New Testament, as it were, right? But he says the holy scriptures you have known, they are able to make you wise for salvation. So that means that what Paul was trying to say is that from the Old Testament, you can understand salvation. That it was in, in getting Timothy to where he was, it was from the Old Testament that he was discipled unto salvation. So in the Old Testament, we can find salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Are you following this now? Because the Holy Scriptures there was not talking about the complete books of the Bible. Because this is Timothy. Paul was writing to Timothy. So, of course, it couldn't have been... Timothy couldn't have had 2 Timothy to read. Because this was Paul writing to him. Do we, do we understand that? Now, why am I giving you all of this? I just want you to understand that the Old Testament is a very important component of our Christian convictions. And we must learn to be able to study it in the light of Christ. That is where I'm going. If you can't study the Old Testament outside of Christ, because then you're going to run into problems. And I'll give you an example of a modern day problem we have studying the Old Testament outside of Christ. The problem of generational curses. You cannot prove generational curses from the Gospels or the New Testament. So you see, this is the confusion. When somebody wants to teach you generational curses, he goes to the Old Testament and builds a camp there. And then the next Sunday, he's coming to tell you in Ephesians chapter 1 that you're blessed with all blessings in Christ Jesus. And that's conflicting. Because you cannot be blessed and be cursed at the same time. you rather choose one. Are you either cursed or blessed? Praise God. So, so do you understand that? So we must understand that everything must point to Christ. Christ is the finality of the spoken word and the written word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. You don't have that in your outline, so you can add it up. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. 
Don't make the outline so nice, you can't write on it. So I just want it neat like this. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So he says, in those days, in time past, God spoke to us through the prophets. And I want to say this very clearly. Many times when we read and we, and we hear the word, God spoke to us through the prophets. How many of you know that what the Bible is actually talking about was that the prophets shared with us the plan of salvation? It wasn't necessarily that they prophesied what was wrong with us. But they share what the plan of salvation with us. And now says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So Jesus is the express image of God. In Jesus, we see God completely in who he is. We have a clearer picture of God. And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Praise God. Okay. Now, if you, well, let's go there. But if you go to verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? That verse 5 was quoting Psalms 2 verse 7. That statement, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Alright? was quoting Psalms chapter 2 and verse 7. So you see that the Old Testament, the New Testament is authenticated by the, the New Testament is authenticated by the Old Testament. And that is why when people talk about why the, why the Bible, in apologetics when we talk about why the Bible can be verified as the word of God is the fact that you have people writing in different centuries and confirming each other. It couldn't have been a planned work. Alright? That's one of the things that authenticate the scriptures. That people wrote something years back, died, and the scrolls were missing, and somebody writes again and then confirms what this person is writing. Praise God. Acts chapter 10 and verse 42 to 43. Acts 10, 42 to 43. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witnessed. Go back to 42. 43 now. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him would receive remission of sin. So the prophets witness that salvation is in Christ alone. That was the witness that the prophets bore. Praise God. Okay. So, Understand this, that the prophets bore witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The Old Testament points to Jesus and teaches us about him. Luke 24. Go back to Luke 24. And we're going to read from verse 44. Luke 24 and verse 44. 
praise God. You remember this story, right? Like uh, in Luke chapter 24, you remember the story of the two disciples who were going to, the, to Emmaus, right? The disciples on the road to Emmaus. So they were telling Jesus, <laughs> I find this story very interesting. I preached a message on it some time ago. Uh, okay. Now, the account of Luke 24 talks about the road to Emmaus and that's from verse 13, the travelers going to Emmaus and all that and all that and all that. Uh, okay, so let's go to Verse, verse 24. You know the story, right? You guys are Bible students. I'm just thinking of where to read from. Okay, can we just read it quickly? Luke 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which has happened. So it was, while they conversed that reason that Jesus drew himself near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have one with another? As you walk and are sad. Then the one whose name was Clopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Can you imagine? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Who was? <laughs> a mighty prophet indeed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company, of our company, meaning that they were disciples. They were members of Jesus' church. Card-carrying members, sticker-gumming members, hand-wrist-wearing members. Hand-bands-wearing members. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. He was alive. So any of these women were with us, I went to the tomb and find it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, Jesus speaking now, Oh, foolish ones. What an introduction. Just imagine starting to preach a sermon. I just say, Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So you know what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying, if you guys believed what the prophets have spoken, you will not doubt the resurrection. Because the prophets actually bore witness to the resurrection. Meaning that Jesus was actually saying that the Old Testament is enough proof about Christianity. That if we have, if, if, even if we did not have an account of the New Testament, from the Old Testament, we would be able to know of a surety that Jesus resurrected from the grave. Praise God. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So you know what Jesus did? Jesus started from the books of Moses down to the prophets and from the Old Testament explained salvation to them. And that was called the scriptures. 
So, so the Old Testament is enough proof of resurrection or salvation or remission of sins or faith alone through Christ. And as believers, we need to learn it. Because we are entering a day and an age where they will come against us all kinds of attacks about Christianity. And most times, our things about Christianity is not built on conviction because most of us came into Christianity with a problem-solving mindset. So they say, ah, ah, you have not been able to give better. Ah, come, 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 come. Our God can do it. So you don't know the God. You don't understand how he reasons. You don't know anything about the God. You just came so he will give you a child. You don't have a job, come. So, you know, you have majority of people who came to God because he's a problem solver. They didn't come because of convictions. So you realize that once you hit some kind of problem that there's a bit of delay, then they stop coming to church, they stop praising God, they stop everything. Do you understand that? And if you have that approach to scriptures, you are not a believer who is convinced of your faith in Christ. Praise God. Okay. Now, go to verse 44. The, now, this was the disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? Then he appeared to his own disciples, the real ones, the members of the executive council. Verse 36. Another drama. Now, as he said these things, Jesus himself stood in their, in their midst. And said to them, peace to you. <laughs> but they were terrified and frightened. And suppose they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Now Jesus did not say flesh and blood. He said flesh and bones. Because at this time, he was resurrected and he had an immortal body. This was a glorified body and there was no blood but flesh and bones. Because he was living at this time, post-resurrection, by the very life of God. That's another topic. But why did they, <laughs> but why they still did not believe for joy and marvel? He said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him, gave him a piece of bread, fish, and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Verse 44, 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So it means that for three and a half years that these guys were walking with Jesus, they did not comprehend the scriptures. Are you, are you, are you following this? So Jesus had to again say, listen, these things are in the Psalms. These things are in the prophets. So he opened their understanding. How did he open their understanding? By explanation. What was Jesus explaining? The Old Testament. So they can understand. Because then Jesus could not say, turn to Matthew. <laughs> it was not Matthew. He was explaining to Matthew why he has to rise up. <laughs> and that is why they now had the convictions. You know, let me explain. Well, okay. 
they were not writing the Bible while they were with Jesus. So it was not like, you know, Jesus, they were just walking. It was not like a diary. Like they walked, they walked to a point, and the Matthew just quickly wrote, and today we raised three dead people. And today, a demon possessed. No, 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 no. They didn't do that. It was many years after they started documenting. Okay? So in Acts chapter 1, Luke says of all the former treaties that I began to write unto you, O Theophilus. So they were writing based on conviction now, not just based on the experience. Because experience does not sustain a Christian. God can perform all the miracles for you today and you'll backslide tomorrow. It won't change your heart. Conviction does. And conviction is rooted in comprehension. Comprehension is a product of understanding. Praise God. Okay. Are you there? All right. So sometimes the prophet spoke in ways that were obviously fulfilled in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Your outline now. So in Isaiah 7, verse 14, let's just do that. Isaiah 7, verse 14. So let's, let's go to Isaiah 7 now, verse 10 to 15. Verse 10, moreover the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. So a prophetic word was coming, and the Lord says, Ask. Now, verse 13, then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But you will, will you weary my God also? Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, his, and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Fifteen cuts and honey he shall eat, and he will may know to refuse the evil and choose good. Now, this was Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. Put it in verse 14. Now, I want you to imagine way back, there was no New Testament, there was no Bible, there was no Bible in terms of the New Testament, they were just the prophets, the scrolls of the prophets, and a man stands up and says, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. It is practically unbelievable. Number one, a virgin is not supposed to conceive. Like, if you conceive, then you're not a virgin. You understand that? Then number two, if a virgin now conceives, you cannot call him Emmanuel. Because Emmanuel actually means God with us. I, 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 are you following this now? But when they heard that prophecy, that prophecy was actually talking about over 2,000 plus years that Jesus was going to come. I, I, are you following this? So when Jesus now came and they were reading the book of Isaiah and hearing the claims of Jesus, they could not go back to Isaiah and said, oh, wow, 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 wow. So this is what Isaiah was talking about. So if a preacher just took that and was preaching a motivational message out of it, he had completely missed the plan of God. And I'll show you one of those scriptures in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. Right. So, we can apply the scriptures, but we must also understand the context with which the scriptures was written. Praise God. Okay. So, other times, it, it painted a picture of the judgment of God and all that. Genesis 3.15. Let's go to Genesis 3.15. 
And I'll show you something there. Are you understanding something? Say amen if you are. All right, just to make sure you're with me. Genesis 3.15. This was the curse that was released. And I'll put an enmity between you and the woman. <laughs> and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What was he referring to here? What's the seed of the woman? Jesus. So actually in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God had already revealed the plan of salvation. And God even went further to authenticate it because when Adam was leaving the garden, was going out of the garden, what happened? The Lord took, verse 21, verse 21, Genesis 3, 21, and also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So how did the Lord drive Adam out of the garden? Didn't drive him out naked, drive, drove him clothed. And how was God going to get the skin to clothe him? Animal skin. So an animal had to die for Adam to be clothed. Which was symbolic of the fact that our clothing, our righteousness, was going to be from the sacrifice of Jesus. That it is when Christ is sacrificed that we will have the covering of righteousness and that we will not be naked. So all through the scriptures, from Genesis to Malachi, we can find the ultimate plan of God of salvation in the scriptures. Praise God. Okay. Three challenges of reading the Old Testament. A man by the name of Dr. Geoffrey Gons talked about these three challenges, and I agree with him. Number one, many times the message of the prophets was dropped in symbolic language that may appear very foreign to the modern reader. So when you read the Old Testament, Sometimes you can't connect it with our day. So there's a lot of symbolic language. So it just makes it a bit boring and you just want to leave it. Number two, reading the prophets may be difficult due to the assumption that we bring to the books themselves. So exegesis is explaining scripture with scriptures. But you can also read your mind into scripture. You can read your perception, your assumption into scriptures. And we do that a lot. So that's why sometimes you have multiple interpretations because people are reading their minds into scripture. They're trying to find what is already in their mind. So when we read the Old Testament, you know, like I said, you know, somebody goes to the Old Testament looking for prayer points, looking for prayer points, looking for prayer points. And if you're doing all of those search, you just realize that you find some very dangerous prayer points. I remember I was in a meeting some days from years ago, still growing up, and the man came and was teaching on the covenant of salt. You know, which is in the book of Leviticus. I was teaching the covenant of salt. Obviously, he had zero understanding what the covenant of salt was. Zero understanding. That he did not have understanding. The only understanding he had was to be able to read it, covenant of salt. After that, outside of that, nothing. So then he now asked everybody to bring salt. And then people brought salt. Then he prayed over the salt. And you know all the drama that takes place after that. But yet, it is from the Bible. Are you following that now? But he did not understand the Bible. So understanding is key. 
Right interpretation is key. Sometimes, understanding the background, we're going to go there, is key. The number, number three reason, many of us approach the prophets without understanding the historical and cultural context of the prophets. So, and I find that a very big problem with us pastors. Very, very big problem. If you read the Bible alone, it's sufficient for life. But if you really want to, if you are a Bible teacher, if you're a pastor, right? <laughs> Let me show you a scripture. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. I, I showed this to the pastors in Portacot on Monday. Some were shocked, some were not. Hosea 4 6. Quickly, 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 quickly. Time is going. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. Who is referring to? The priest. I will I also will reject you for being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. Now, when we read Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, the immediate thing is we use it to attack the believers. Right? But the reason God wrote this scripture was because the priests actually rejected knowledge. So the people were, were destroyed for lack of knowledge because of the priest's rejection of knowledge. So it was not the people's fault. God was actually speaking to the priest. Okay, I'll, I'll come back again. And I'll say it again. When he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We, that's where we stop, right? But you know, that's not the whole verse. You know, sometimes impatience makes us to read only one line. So God now goes on to say, because... You have rejected knowledge. I'll also reject you from being priests. Why? Because the mouth of the priest should keep knowledge. So the truth of the matter is that you cannot grow above who you listen to. You are a product of whoever you listen to. Whoever is your favorite preacher, is, is, that's how you will be, become. So in studying the Old Testament, we also need to read other books that can help us understand the cultural setting of why the prophets wrote what they wrote. I gave you an example. When we were in camp, uh, uh, a singer came from the, from the north and was singing and used the word wayo, and he was trying to say it means love in the north, like I love you or something, an expression of love. But if you say that in the south, it means a scammer. Uh, am I right? So if he was to write a Bible translation, <laughs> and he wrote something called Wayo. If I don't understand what it means in the north, how am I going to preach it? How am I going to preach it? I'm going to preach it with my understanding of what that word means. Are you following this? So we cannot read the Bible like it was absolutely just written to English speaking people. No. <clears throat> there is a Jewish context, there is a cultural context to the scriptures. Are you, are you following this? So sometimes when you read Paul's writing about women keeping quiet in church, it was not just about divine inspiration, but a cultural setting of how the temple and the synagogue was set up. Okay. There were three divisions of the Hebrew canon. That's all of the scriptures were divided into three. There was the Torah, which was the first five books of Moses. The word Torah means instruction or law. So there you had Genesis, you had Exodus, you had Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
Then you had the prophets. Nabim. Nabim is like a breath, an expression. So there are five words used for prophets in the Hebrew language. But let's just go with this. Nabim, the former prophets. Now they were what called the former prophets and the latter prophets. Or the twelve shorter prophets. Now, some, translate, some people say major prophets and minor prophets. Now, it did not mean that they are, they are, how do I put it now? It was not in their ranking. Most times they were called major because of the length of their books. So like Isaiah has 66 chapters, Amos has 9 chapters, right? But actually in the Hebrew rendering, they were not called major and minor. They were rather called the former and the latter prophets, or the shorter prophets, the latter prophets. They were also called that based on, there's a table in the next slide, in the next stuff that you see, based on the year with which they wrote the, the books. Now, uh, okay, let me, just, let me do this and I'll show you that. So you have Joshua, Judges, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings. Then the latter prophets, you have Isaiah. Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Then the 12 shorter prophets, you have Uzziah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I know some of you have seen some names for the first time. All right. Then you had the Ketubim, which are the writings. So you have poetry and wisdom, which was Psalms, Proverbs, and Job. So that is very important when you, understand, when you are trying to interpret Job. To understand the context of how it was written. Then you have the Migaloth, which was the roles. Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, and Esther. Then you have the historical books, which are Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, First and Second Chronicles. Now, you also are you still with me? Yes. Say amen if you're here. Yes. Alright. Now you also have three divisions in the prophetic books. You have the post- Exilic prophets, you have the exilic prophets, and you have the post, pre, post, pre-exil, and post-exil. Okay, so let's put it this way. They were prophets who wrote to the children of Israel before they went on exile. Okay? So when you are interpreting those prophets, you must understand how they are writing. So in, in those prophets, there were a lot of woes and judgment. Because God was trying to warn them not to get into exile. Just follow me slowly now, but it's, it's easy to understand. Then there were the prophets who wrote why they were in exile. Okay? So certain prophets wrote why they were in exile. So probably like Jeremiah. So when you read Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, for instance, and he says, I know the thoughts I think towards your thought of good and not of evil that you might have an expected. And the question is, why was Jeremiah writing that to the people? He was writing that to the people because they were in exile and God had promised them that they were going to leave exile. So because of that cultural setting of being in exile, you can understand what Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 actually means. That it was to a people in exile and God promising them that they were going to leave exile. Why? Because Jeremiah was writing while they were in exile. Then there were post-prophets who wrote after they left exile. So in those books, you find a lot of reminder about if you do this, you will return. <laughs> you know, I will take you guys back. You know, so when you are reading those concepts, you understand that they were writing from the place where they were coming from. Right? So it makes it easy to understand. These prophets were writing, warning them that if you don't do this, you will go here. 
Then these prophets were writing, here you, you guys see what you have done. We are here now. But God has a plan for you. He will sort you guys out. And then they, God finally sort them out. They start being disobedient. Then God raises a prophet and says, Share you guys remember where you are coming from. What happened to your fathers will happen to you. He wasn't teaching them generational curses. He was just warning them. That your father were in bondage because they were disobedient. And if you are not careful, if you told that part, you'll get back into exile. So exile in the Old Testament was a corrective measure of God to the children of Israel when they were disobedient. So when you are reading those scriptures, you must have those contexts in mind. Are we together? Say amen if you're here. Right. I hope we can finish this today. It's like someone is just turning the time. Eh? You guys are miracle workers. Keys to understanding the prophets. Not the prophetic books here. Just key to understanding the prophets. Number one. The prophets preached in a specific period. Historical, cultural, social, political context. So there is a context with which they preached. Let me give you a typical example. I'm sure all of us were, were alive then, <laughs> during the Abacha regime, right? And if you read some writings by the Nadeko people, how many of you remember Nadeko group? You don't remember Nadeko? Okay. <laughs> but you remember that whole time. Now, if somebody wrote about presidency, I'm giving an example. If somebody wrote about presidency during the Nadeko regime, and then now write about presidency, maybe, oh, sorry, during the Abacha regime, maybe an ADECO member. And I write about presidency maybe when we came into democracy. Are you sure the writings are going to be different? What do you think? What do you think? If you don't think anything, they will just be here. Just think something. Just think. What do you think? They will be different. Or don't you think so? Why? Why? Absolutely, because they are freer now and they were not free then. Do you get it? Hello? You were here when Abasha was here. Oh, you were not here? Okay, you were here. All right. <laughs> now, what is going to happen is if I now pick those two books, those two writings, okay, let's put a journalist describes his experience during the Abacha regime and another journalist describes his experience during our brother's regime. Right? You know, there were two contrasting regimes. Okay. Now, when I pick those two books and read, I can decide to give it my own interpretation. But if I really want to understand what that journalist was writing, I will ask myself, who was president when this guy was writing? So I will now go back and read about the boss, Abacha. And after reading, and I read about El Mustafa and Rambo and all those guys, that were Abacha's men, I realized, wow. So under that context, that's why this man was writing like this. And then when I read whatever is written about President Jonathan, and I realized, oh, under this context, so if we don't understand sometimes the context of the Old Testament, we will not understand the book. Because some of us even have no idea how kings rule. Our idea of kings are people who take contracts before it comes to us. That's our idea of kings, like kings, oh my dear, they just are the chiefs, they divide the money. So, so, so when we read King of Kings, that's our mind, the one, the, the one who has the original contracts. <laughs> but you know, King of Kings wasn't used for only God in the scriptures. Okay. 
Let's go on. So you ask yourself, so, so, who wrote the book? Why, when, and why was it written? What was going on in the author's life and the life of the people? So let me give you an example. So if I don't finish this, I don't want to rush it because I want you to understand. So if I don't finish this, we'll come to Alto Interpret the Prophets next, next Wednesday. So it means we'll use nine Wednesdays. Uh, Hosea chapter 1. Go to Hosea chapter 1. I'll show you something there. Hosea or Hosea. What's the correct pronunciation? Hosea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You know, one day someone told me that I didn't pronounce a book correctly. I can't remember which book now. But I said, did you find it when I was preaching? I said, yes. So that's the most important thing. <laughs> okay, the word of the Lord that came to Uzziah, the son of Beria, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaziah, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, can you see what I'm saying there? The word of the Lord that came to Hosiah, the son of Bera, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, gives us the political situation of what, who was in governance, what was going on before the word of the Lord comes. So, so if you were, now, I mean, this is just for serious Bible students. If you were a serious Bible student, what are you going to do? You're going to find out who, what was these guys, when were they reigning, what happened during their reign. And some of this will now take you back to 1st Kings and 2nd Kings. Right? You're going to find out, okay, what was going on there. Then let's go on, verse 2. When the, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of Halotry, and the children of Halotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So it gives us a context of what was going on then. So when Hosea went to marry a prostitute and took children of harlotry, what was going on then? God was using it as a symbolic act because of what was going on. So if we really want to understand whatever was going on in Hosea, we have to now go and search what was happening in the time of these kings. Is that okay? So you cannot take this, for instance, now you want to counsel a brother and you now say, I want you to go to Hosea chapter 1 verse 2. I sense that the Lord is, you can't do that. <laughs> do, do, do you understand what I'm trying to say now? So this is not a precept for you. It's not an example for you. God was trying to teach something. What was God trying to teach? God was trying to teach something about his love and his commitment to Israel, even though Israel was going away from them. All right. So what was going on in the author's life and in the life of the people? So for instance, in this we can understand what's going on. What, what were the social conditions of that day? What was the culture like? What was the political situation of that day? Who were the leaders and what do we know about them? What did the writer know about God? What is the time period covered in the book? Okay? So you, you, you have to ask yourself all these questions. All these questions will make you understand why the man wrote what he was writing. So you see that if we have to actually go by this method of study, we cannot hurry the scriptures. So let me give you an example. If we, if as a local church we decide that, come on, let's be serious. Let's study these scriptures. So what we are going to do, not what we are going to do, this is an example. 
<laughs> but you now discover that if we are to now study Hosea, for instance, and we go to Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, go back to verse 1, and we read that, and we go to verse 2, we now find out that no, we will not be able to understand Hosea until we understand what was going on in the days of these kings. So what do we do if we actually want to become serious Serious Bible, Bible, serious Bible church. Well, serious Bible church. But if you want to go an extra mile, what do we do? We pause our study in Hosea, right? Come on now. Are you here or you're going home? Okay. We pause our study in Hosea, then we do what? We go back and take some time to study the days of these kings. We understand the context of the days of this king. That can take us about another one month. All right. Then we now come back here and continue. So realize that we can actually spend the whole year just on that one book. But what's going to happen is that by the time you do that, you will understand the book of Hosea like no man's business. Are you following what I'm saying? So, you see, we cannot learn scriptures in a hurry. We cannot also not learn scriptures if we don't have time. Praise God. Okay. Number two, keys to understanding the prophets. Remember the prophetic speech was, was poetic speech also. For instance, Amos chapter 5 verse 24, Martin Luther King Jr. used to quote this a lot. But let justice roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That's a, that's a, that's a poetic speech. So sometimes for so you to so have a clear understanding of some scriptures, you have to also understand a little bit of poetry. Just a little bit. Now, this is not about going academic. The Spirit of God will also grant illumination, but it's also about diligence. All right? Now, I know some people think that it was Martin Luther that quoted this. Yeah, okay, Martin Luther used this all the time, so they just think it's a motivational quote. In fact, some people have seen, I read, which is very shocking, some people write this and put Martin Luther King Jr. in front. Yeah, yeah. But this was, poet, this was poetic. So you, you, so you read some statements like that, and it's very poetic. Especially when you read the songs of Solomon, you know, uh, there's a lot of poetic speech there. Ecclesiastes also. Number three, the primary concern of the prophet was with his immediate historical context. Praise God. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.